The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen. Church, let's take our Bibles this morning, turn to the New Testament book of 2 Timothy chapter number 3, 2 Timothy 3. We'll continue some of our catechism questions today. 2 Timothy chapter number 3, very familiar passage of Scripture. Wonderful music today. It's just a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now that you're all comfortable, would you go ahead and stand for the reading of the Word of God? <laughs> And I always started a decided disadvantage, you know. I get you angry at me before I preach to you. So, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. Uh, let me read this for us aloud as you read this silently in your scripture. And the Bible says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate. Equipped for every good word or work. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. Thank you for this time together today. It's just a wonderful, wonderful time together in the house of the Lord. We pray now that um, you would um, anoint your, uh, the reading of your word. And Father, that you would change us. And that we would stand true upon the foundation of Scripture today. And that it would affect every part and parcel of our life. And we will love you and thank you for all that you do this day and have done. For it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of the word of God. And so today we want to speak about uh, when God speaks. This is a powerful, powerful passage of scripture. Uh, you know, I sometimes will do... Um, Ordinations. I'll either give a charge, be involved in giving the charge at an ordination for a young minister, or I'll be involved in the questioning and just be there for the service. And in my ordination years ago, and in every ordination that I've participated in or had any part in, I always require that whoever it is, the young man that is before the Lord, doesn't matter whether it's going to be a lead pastor or associate pastor or no matter what position it is there when it's in pastoral duty and handling the word of the living God, I think that it is valuable to have these couple of verses memorized that all Scripture is inspired by God and that it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I think this passage, along with chapter 4, is really the bedrock and the building ground for ministry concerning the Word of the living God. It really is a conviction in our lives. I'm reminded of John Stott and in his book... Years ago, I remember I had uh, I had this um, big uh, this big assignment that I was supposed to sit down and write a philosophy of ministry and a philosophy of preaching. 
And uh, I had no idea what they meant by that when they assigned me the, the uh, task. And so I remember working through that and I thought, man, what in the world? How? I don't know. What am I supposed to invent a philosophy of ministry? I don't know. And so uh, I've been really profoundly influenced by John Stott's work, Between Two Worlds. And uh, in the center of that book, there is a chapter called Theological Convictions for Preaching. And I thought in my head, you know, since I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, I thought, well, if it's good enough for John Stott, it's good enough for me. And so I basically memorized John Stott's chapter on theological convictions. And uh, when I wrote the paper, I didn't plagiarize. I gave him all kinds of credit, but I just adopted that. And in the beginning of that chapter, he says this, and it is it has just influenced my life greatly. He said this, the essential secret in preaching is not mastering some techniques, but it's being mastered by certain convictions. Let me say that for you again. The essential secret, and I would say in the Christian life, in ministry, in, in working with the Word of God, the essential secret is not, being, not mastering certain techniques, but being mastered by certain convictions. And brothers and sisters, I would say to us today that we need as a congregation, especially in the world that we live in, the society and the culture that's around us, we need to be mastered by certain convictions. And one of those convictions is that the Bible is absolutely the Word of God and it is the foundation for our faith and practice and all that we do in our life. Amen? By way of context today in chapter number three, let me just bring you up to speed with where we are. Verse one through seven deals with superficial Christianity. And it is, uh, the Bible is as up to date as the fresh print is on the paper that you read this morning. We deal in a country and in a time where Christianity is superficial. Where many people say that they believe in Jesus, but they don't walk with Jesus. They say that they believe the Bible, but they don't live the Bible. They say that they believe in Christianity, but they are not willing to walk in the tenets of Christianity faithfully. It is a hearsay religion. It is a southern cultured religion. Everybody in the South has some bit of kind of Bible Christianity, but it is not a sold-out, gospel-centered, Christ-living Christianity that transforms the way that we live our life. Furthermore, in verse number 8 through 14, you'd find that he deals with the persecution of true believers. And I would say that that is where we are moving quickly, that we are living in a country and in a time and in a society and culture where there is a superficial Christianity that is being marginalized and pushed to the side. And real believers, those who stand upon the bedrock of the Word of God, live their life in a loving, gracious way, but do not move from what thus saith the Lord. We will be persecuted for what we believe. All those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, so the Bible said. Jesus said this, if I suffer persecution, what do you think you're going to suffer as a follower of me? And if Jesus had to live his life and be persecuted, what makes you think as a true believer that in your life you won't suffer persecution? And in the backdrop of superficial Christianity and the persecution of real Christianity, verse 15 through 17, he gives the foundation for living as a believer in this kind of world. Here's the main idea for today. 
We need a deep conviction about the Scripture that it is the foundation of our Christian lives. And more than just coming in here on Sunday and holding the right Bible and saying the right words and, 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 and everybody looking just the part and saying, we believe the Bible, we're Christians, that when it comes and it's run through the sieve of your life, that in the hard decisions and the hard relationships and when, when things in the world, when you are not the popular one in the room or at work or with your family, when you hold to certain biblical convictions and everybody around you thinks you're crazy and nuts and you are this and you are that, that you are not willing to bend, but you are willing to stand upon the word of the living God, for it is the conviction of your soul that you have been mastered by certain convictions that the Bible is the word of God and you'll build your life upon it. Well, look with me quickly this morning at three convictions about the scripture. Here's the first one. Scripture is divine in its origin. First of all, this morning, Scripture is divine in its origin. Or you could say it like this. Scripture is God's Word written. Look back at verse number 16. And let me just take this apart for you. Notice, notice first of all, it says, All Scripture... And you could uh, translate that, all Scripture or every single portion of Scripture. I, I, I did a search this week, and I know none of you have this translation. I'm not going to tell you which one it is. It's an obscure one from many years ago. But there was a translation that said one time that uh, every Scripture that's inspired, or every Scripture inspired is from God. Or every, you know, making it out as if there's some Scripture that's uh, inspired and some Scripture that's not inspired. Most of the translations in this room today, you have something that says, all Scripture is inspired by God. I want all of us to recognize this morning, brothers and sisters, that what we believe as a church and what we believe the Bible teaches is that every single word of the Bible is inspired by God. Not only every single word, but plenary. That is, the entire scope of Scripture. From Genesis to the end of the book of Revelation, every single word is inspired by God. This may say all Scripture, and it means the totality. You could also say every Scripture passage. That is, that every time you'll notice that when we come to church, almost in, inevitably, we always preach from a passage of Scripture. And what we're saying is that every Scripture passage and the totality of the entire Word of God, all of it is inspired by God. All Scripture is inspired. The word here in uh, Greek, it's two words fused together. Theo for God and noustos meaning breath or spirit. And so all Scripture, when it says inspired, means to be breathed out by God, to be exhaled by God. And so when we use the word inspired, we're, we're not using it as like a Hallmark card, like that's really inspiring. I know some of you watched that NC State game yesterday and you were inspired by that performance. Man, that illustration went over like a lead balloon. But anyway, I love you all. It's all right. It'll get better. It doesn't mean to be inspired like I really want to go do something. No, when we say inspiration, what we mean and what the Scripture means, 
when it says that all Scripture is inspired by God, is that when you read the words on the page, that is the very breath and voice and exhaling of God. It is the Word of God. God's Word written is God's Word. All Scripture, every bit from Genesis to Revelation, all of it is the very breath and the voice of God. As somebody says one time, I want to hear God speak, then just read the Bible out loud. You think I'm kidding. For the first 1,600 years of the, uh, of the church, Scripture was read out loud. In fact, Paul will tell Timothy in 1 Timothy, uh, in the public setting, in the church, give attendance to the reading of Scripture. Do you know why we have one of our deacons read the Scripture each week? It's not just to be a fun part of the service. It is because the Word written is the Word of God. Do you know why this pulpit is here, right? It's, it's, it's not aesthetic. In fact, what we want to do is we always want to make sure that the Word of God is lifted up among the congregation. So that whether I'm here or not, the Word of God is always preeminent in the church. The church rises and falls upon the word of the living God. And if you do not have the faithful preaching and articulation of the message of the word of God in a church, you don't have a church at all. Foundational to our church is the preaching and the proclamation of the written word. Why? Because we believe the scripture teaches this is the voice of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is the voice of the living God. Let me see if I can just camp there for just a minute. I don't take long today. When we say all Scripture is inspired by God, what we're really saying is that the voice of God through Scripture is authoritative and it's life-giving. You might want to jot that down off to the side in your notes. See, it's not just that we have some that we have a soapbox to stand on and we say, we got the Bible. No. In fact, the vast majority of the references to Scripture in the Bible are fused together with authority and life. In fact, if you would, look at, uh, look at verse number uh, 14. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from a childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation, that is life, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the Word of God is authoritative. It is the voice of the living God saying, this is what I want and this is how to live. This is what should be done. It is authoritative, but it's not just authoritative. It is authority that gives life to dead people. The Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But the Word of God brings us the truth of Jesus Christ that is able to transform us and to breathe life into us. All Scripture is inspired by God that it is breathed out. Doesn't that remind you in the book of Genesis when God breathes into Adam and he becomes a living soul? 
It is the breath of God that brings life and it is the word of God that brings life out of death and brings light out of darkness. It is the word of God that brings us the message of Christ that gives life to people. Would you think with me for just a moment? Let me, let me see if I can just work this in your mind. Can you think right now in your mind, in your imagination, can you think of anybody in your lifetime and you'd say, I'd know that voice from every other voice in the world. Maybe it's your wife, maybe it's your father, maybe it's your mother, maybe it's a brother or sister, maybe you've got a great friend. There's a voice and you say, I know that voice. And not only do I know that voice, but that voice carries authority in my life. When I hear that voice, I stop in my tracks. When I hear that voice, it doesn't even, it doesn't even have to raise its voice. When I, when I hear the very tone and the tenor of that voice, I stop everything and I listen because it's an authoritative voice in my life. And not only is it authoritative in my, authoritative in my life, but when I hear that voice, I know good is coming to me. I know life is coming to me. I know wisdom is coming to me. I know that when I hear that voice, I'm going to walk away with rivers of living water coming up out of our soul. Do you have anybody in your life? Maybe, maybe they've passed on or maybe they're still alive. I want you to think like that for a moment. I want you to understand that the Word of God is 10 billion times more than that. It is the word of our Father. And it is graciously written so that you didn't have to live at a particular point in history where you heard the audible voice of God. He has provided the written word so that whether you live in Raleigh, North Carolina, or Indonesia, or London, that you can open up and read this word. And it is the God of heaven, our Father, speaking to us in his authoritative voice for your life and in a voice that brings life to you. Now with that said, did you read the Bible this week? Now look, and I'm, I'm not bringing any sort of uh, legalistic condemnation on you. I'm just sharing and asking and living with you. Did you read? Hmm, maybe I can just twist that a little bit. Did you listen for the authoritative, life-giving voice of your Father this week? In all of the issues that you're facing in life right now, the ones that you, that you uh, sit up late at night uh, and getting ulcers and struggling with and anxiety and fear, the ones that you're figuring out all of the ways to answer and do, all of the issues of your life, did you uh, try to work them out on your own or did you go to the voice of your Father that gives authority and life to you? And consult Him and love Him and live for Him and longingly look into the Word of God to see what God has to say that might influence your life for His glory and your good. I'm trying to draw you in an indifferent way today. I want you to read your Bible. And, and we do a lot of different kinds of teachings about that. But I don't want you just to leave here today and say, oh, it's another duty I got to do. I got to write that off the checklist. 
All of us, hey, listen, you're, we're all in the same bucket. We've all done those like read through the Bible in a year programs and you get like 16 days behind. You find yourself on a Saturday afternoon with a pot of coffee and you're like, check it off, check it off, check it off. Samuel, come on, how long can this chapter be? Right, come on, right? And what you're doing is trying to fulfill a quota so that you don't feel guilty. God's not so much interested in you fulfilling a quota so you don't feel guilty. God wants you to come to the scripture, whether you read a verse or a chapter or the entire book in a year. And when you approach the word of God, that you're listening for the authoritative voice of the one who gives life out of the word to you. Well, let me give you a couple of points of application of that and I'll move to the next point. Here's four things that you could do this week to help you in your reading. The first one is this. Read. <laughs> I better start there. Because everything else is dependent on whether you read or not. But here's what I'd like for you to do. When you read, I'd like you to read in a settled disposition. Not so much concern with getting a certain amount done, but reading to interact and to know God. See, most people read to have read rather than reading to know God. You understand what I say in that? You're reading to have finished it rather than reading to encounter God there. So learn to read. And when you get ready to read, why don't you just pray right there at the beginning and say, Lord, will you teach me from your word? I want to know you. I want to see you. I, I, want, I want this word to change me. So begin with reading. Here's the second thing. Meditate. All right? Now, we're not getting weird. I'm not asking you to go like this. Okay? That's another day, another time. Well, maybe, maybe just this. Why don't you just chew on some verses of Scripture like you're going to chew on the chips at El Rodeo in about 20 minutes? Don't scarf it down. Dip it in the queso and enjoy it. Think about it. Meditate it. Eat it. Chew it. Use what God has given you to enjoy the Bible. Here's what I mean. When you read Scripture, try and read it with all five of your senses. Achilles, let me talk to you for a minute to gaze, family. I'm trying to help you. When you read the Bible, Augustine said, if the Bible cries, you cry. If the Bible rejoices, you rejoice. When you read the scripture, smell it. I'm not saying like some people put your face up to a book and smell the book. Smell where you are in the passage. I know you, I know you laugh at me. See where you are in the passage. Hear where you are in the passage. Taste where you are in the passage. Did you, did you hear... 
the offertory today. The song was about the lady at the well. I imagine her clothes were torn and Oh, man, she'd been married five times and living with somebody. She came to the well at midday when nobody else comes. You know why? Because she is ashamed of herself. See it. Be there. Think through it. Meditate on it. Live in that. Use the metaphors of Scripture to think and meditate and just rest on through the day. Our God is a rock. What does that look like? Now certainly we understand that's a metaphor. God is not a big boulder somewhere. But that's telling you something of the nature of God. God is strong. God can be counted on. God is not a pebble in your driveway that's going to be kicked up by the tire dust. God can be counted on. You can stand on Him. Years and years and years of your life can beat upon the rock of God and it not shake Him. Our God is a fortress that you can run into in the deep, dark corner secrets of your mind where you're most afraid and scared. You can run into the fortress of God and He'll pull up the drawbridge and He has he has his angels on, on, the, uh, on the corners of the fortress and nobody's going to get to you when you're in God. Do you read like that? Read. Meditate. Think on what you read. You don't have to get it all read. Read a chapter. Read a passage. Read some verses and think about it. And run that through your mind and your heart and your life. Here's a third thing. Pray the passage that you're reading to God. Well, Pastor Steve, I'm, I'm, I'm reading in the Old Testament right now. That's fine. Just pray the narrative back to God. Pray with Abraham taking his son up to the mountain. Pray through that. Find yourself... In that story, Hans Frey said it's not about putting the Bible into our life, but putting our life into the Bible. Learn to live in the world of the Bible. Pray that narrative. And through that, back to the Lord. Find yourself in there. And here's a little hint. When you're praying narratives, you're not the hero in the story. When you read the David narrative, let me tell you who you are. You're not King David. You're not Saul and you're not Goliath. You're the fearful Israelites that won't go fight. So why don't you just pray that narrative back to God and say, I'm a coward and I need, I need, I need a King David. I need Jesus to be King David for me. I need him to go down there and fight the battle and win the victory because I'm too fearful to do it myself and I can't. I'll fail. Look at how big those enemies are. You can pray the Psalms. You can pray poetry. You can pray parts of the Bible that you don't even know. You read the first beginning of the book of Ezekiel and you, know, you read two chapters and you're like, what? Let's pray through it. You have a beautiful vision of God. 
That's giving you license to read and tie your mind to the Scripture, right? I'm not asking you to invent something in your mind, but read what Ezekiel has to say about the throne room of God and just see that in your mind and pray that back. Lord, I can't wait till one day I'm standing in your, in your throne room and bow before you and this whole smoke and train fills the whole area and angels are shouting, holy, holy, holy. And one day, Lord, I'll be able to sing like that, but until then... I love you. You can certainly pray a passage like this. You know, you know, this week as I was praying through it, and see where I'll get there in a minute, maybe not. It says that the man of God, there's two ways. So it is anthropos there. It means a man, woman, boy, or girl, that the, that the person of God might be adequate and equipped for every good work. But earlier in this book, the Apostle Paul does call Timothy the man of God specifically as a pastor or an elder. And this week, I've I just been kind of just meditating, praying that back. Lord, will you help me to be a man of God? Well, to be a man of God is to be a man of Scripture. Lord, will you help me? Help me. Teach me through your word. Read it. Think through, meditate, eat the word. Pray it back to the Lord. And here's the last one. Figure out a way, stumbling and failing as you will, to try and enact what you're reading in your life. So. That the man of God may be equipped, or, uh, adequate, equipped for every good deed. Well, one of the good deeds this week for me, uh, every week I get the opportunity to preach. So that's part of my responsibility. I, I'm not sure what your good deeds are. You've got a thousand of them. But whatever they are, Lord, help me. This, okay, I'm going to try my best to do this. I know that's the good deed that you want. It says this. I'm praying this. I'm reading this. I'm imagining this. I'm meditating on this. And now I'm going to actually go and do the very best that I can to do what that said to do. You know, and you wake up Monday morning, you wake up the next day, you're like, man, I tried my best. I came up short. I missed it. I didn't do as good as I wanted to do, but go live it. See, part of the reason why people skip from church to church to church and from speaker to speaker and study to study is because you're sponges that aren't wrung out. And when you hear the water of life, you don't soak it up. It just runs over top. But Monday through Saturday, if you'll try the very best that you can with the help of the Spirit in the grace of God to actually enact what it is that you're reading and where you're reading in your life, in your relationships, if you'll try the best you can to actually do what it's saying, you'll come in here on Sunday worn out. And you'll sing every song at the top of your lungs because it'll fill you with the joy of God. And you'll sit on the edge of your pew and say, Pastor, preach till three so I can get some more, right? All right, maybe that last part won't happen. But... Read the scripture that way. It has a divine origin. All right, quickly, let me move this. I didn't know I was going to go all through that. Let me give you a second one. Scripture is sufficient in its outcome. Uh, let me go back. Let's do this. Scripture is profitable in its operation. Scripture is profitable in its operation. God still speaks through what He has spoken. Look at verse number 16 again. All Scripture is inspired by God. And, and notice these couplets here. And is profitable for teaching, for reproof, 
for correction, for training in righteousness, right? There's uh, two couplets here. The first one says, for uh, doctrine or teaching and reproof, it's from the positive and to the negative standpoint. So the Word of God is profitable, useful, and the reason why it's profitable and useful is because it has divine origin. It comes from God. It's profitable for teaching and for reproof. What he's saying here to young Timothy is it has the right doctrine, the right teaching. The, it gets the Word of God right so that the teaching that you're giving people is right. And for reproof, that is, for people that are false prophets, false teachers, they're not teaching what the Bible says. So it does both things at the same time, right? That it gives you the right teaching and it corrects false teaching, Right? That's the right belief. And then the second couplet is the right practice. Notice what it says. It goes from negative to positive, from correction to training in righteousness. That is, that it corrects areas of your inward life that are not conformed to Jesus. And not only does it correct you and tell you where it's wrong, but then it actually trains you in righteousness. It teaches you how to live the right life. And so those couplets go together. It gives you the right belief, right? for doctrine and reproof, and the right practice for correction and instruction. So the right belief and the right practice. In the, in the old Christian world, they would say orthodoxy and orthopraxy, right? So you're going to impress your friends at the water cooler tomorrow. Just simply means right belief and right practice. What does the Word of God do? Because it's divine in origin, it is useful and profitable to give us the right beliefs and to teach us how to implement that and live the right life, to practice it, to obey it. Now, let me pause for just a moment and say this to you. You must have both of those together, the right belief and the right practice. See, if all you have is the right beliefs, then you'll just be a legalistic cuss that nobody wants to be around. You'll be a prune. You, you'll, you'll, you'll just know everything that's right, but never actually do it. We don't want to be that kind of person. We don't want to put the person that has all the right beliefs, but never practices. In, in our day today, what we would call that person is a hypocrite. You know all the right things, wonderful, but your life never matches up. I heard a guy this week, and, and it was really convicting for me. He was speaking about pastors, and he said, listen, the gap between your role and your soul ought to always be narrowing. Man, that stabs you in the heart, doesn't it? <laughs> Let us not be the kind of people that know everything that's right to believe but never actually do it. That's a hypocrite. Let's narrow the gap between what we say and what we do so that we're living the Word. Vice versa, if all you have, you know, let me get to this legalistic stuff here. If all you have is somebody who is doing what you think is right, and it's a deeds-based, works-based kind of religion, and you're never getting the belief and the grace and the mercy of Christ that allows us to live that kind of life, then all you'll be is legalistic in your life. And you'll never see the fulfillment of all of this in Jesus. And what you'll do is run around seeing if everybody else measures up to the way that you live. No, you have to have both. Right belief Right practice. And the Word of God is sufficient for that. Let me give you this last point. Here's another conviction. The Scripture is sufficient in its outcome. God's Word is powerful. Look at what it says here in verse number 17. So that the result of this 
is like I said, the man of God. Take that both ways. He's speaking both to pastors. He's also speaking to every man, woman, and boy and girl that trusts Jesus. So that the man of God may be adequate. You know, every time I read that in my translation, it just frustrates me. I wish that it said, may be awesome. <laughs> may be fantastically skilled. But can I tell you, that's a really good translation of the word, adequate. <clears throat> Fitting. The word here kind of has the idea of, uh, let me see if I can just... You know, you ever, you ever have a whole bunch of keys on a ring and you need to unlock a door and you know one of the keys on the ring fits the uh, lock but all the rest don't, but you forgot which one it is? It's not that there's something special about the key, it's just the one that fits the lock. And I think God does that on purpose in this passage so that every pastor and, and all of us together, that none of us ever think too highly of ourselves. We're adequate. God fits us for what He wants to do. The work of God in our life of right belief and right action and the righteousness training is so that we may be fitted, adequate for His work, for His kingdom, for His glory, not for our own name, not for our own press clippings, but for what Jesus wants to do in the world. He wants to fit and mold us so that we're adequate to do what He wants to do and not bring glory to ourselves. Amen? The Word of God accomplishes that in our lives makes us adequate, fit for the kingdom of God. And then look what it says there, equipped for every good deed. You see, what the scripture is doing today in your life is preparing you for what God wants to do with you in the future. And what most of us want is to have some sort of grand thing rolled out, grand deed rolled out in front of us, and we want to go do the deed, and we feel that our character will rise to the level of the challenge in front of us, and that's not the way God works. You don't ever, you don't ever, take, uh, you don't ever take a young man and say, uh, man, you know what? Let's make that guy an elder or a pastor and his poor character will rise to the level of the position. No, it won't. It simply will drag the office down to where his character is. What you do is you take a young man and you begin to build him through the Word of God so that his character becomes transformed and as his character becomes transformed and he humbly walks with the Lord, God will prepare him for whatever ministry he has for him in the future. And I say the same happens in your life. God does want to work. God wants to use you for good deeds in your life, in this church, in our ministry, in this neighborhood. God wants to use you for his glory. But he's not going to thrust you into something that your character is not ready to be with. God wants to transform your character now through the Word of God so that you are prepared and ready for whatever it is He decides to put in your lap. And if it's a marvelous, huge, wonderful thing that God wants you to do, He knows that you'll handle that with grace and humility and righteousness because 
You have been preparing your life through the Word of God. And if God wants to use you in obscurity and never bring your life to light among anybody in the whole world, He'll know that you're ready for all of that because you've been walking humbly with your God through the Scripture. And the Word of God is sufficient for that. A couple things. We'll close today. I was taking note this week. Here's some interesting things about the Bible that maybe, you, you know, you can get a whole bunch in other areas. But let's listen to this. In Hebrews 4.12, the Bible is called the sword. In James 1.23, the Bible is called the mirror. In 1 Peter 1.23, it is called the seed. In 1 Peter 2, it's called the milk. In Psalm 119, 105, it's called the lamp. In Jeremiah 23, 29, it is called the fire. Jeremiah 23, 29, again, it's called the hammer. The Word of God has divine origin. It performs the operation of transforming our character and it sufficiently brings us to the end so that we are prepared to follow in good deeds. And these items that are listed here are those that work nearest to our souls. I want to encourage you this week to get in the Word of God and read it and follow it. If you want to be like Jesus, read the Word and put it to practice in your life. Let me just give you these things and, and we'll be finished. This passage, 2 Timothy 3.16 and, and 17, it clearly and plainly teaches that every part of the Bible from cover to cover is the divine Word of God. It clearly teaches that because it's God's Word, if you'll apply it to your life, it will change who you are. It will transform the old fallen nature, the sins that beset you, the things that you keep doing. If you'll read it and work it out in your life, it will transform you, what you believe and what you practice. Furthermore, I would say that it teaches here that although we want to be become that man of God, we want to be righteous and right, there is truly one man of God in Scripture, and that is the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the preeminent character. He is the divine Son of God, the promised man of God, that if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, He will change us from the inside out. And the Bible teaches that the Word of God is forever settled in heaven. And when Christ comes again, He will want to see His people who have been changed by the Word of God. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for a minute? Brothers and sisters, in just a second we'll sing together. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior,
We want you to know that He loves you and He died for you and He rose again. And for those that put their faith and confidence in Christ alone, they can have eternal life. I speak to my brothers and sisters here today that have trusted Jesus. I want to tell you this. You're living in a time and will live in a time when what you believe about the Bible will be tested to the core. It'll manifest itself in other people's beliefs as they come against you. It will strike closest in your family when something arises and you know that the Bible teaches against something or for something, but you love somebody. You don't want to lose out. You don't want to lose any friends. You don't want people to think poorly of you. You don't want to be isolated and marginalized. And the time will come, whether in school, whether in your work, whether with your family, where what you believe about the Bible will be tested. I'm asking you right now, before you get to that point, will you be mastered by a conviction that the Word of God written is the voice of God and you have no other choice as a believer than to believe and follow Him and the Word. And if it strikes at something in your heart, that you'll bend your heart and follow the Word. I feel like today, this might be the message, this might be the truth that our church will need going forward. Will you stand in God's Word and not waver. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.